No, I don't. I've been blessed with, with uh, not having to do much traveling in my life. I know some of y'all, uh, the lot God has for you, you've had to travel. That's just the way the job was. That's the way things were. But it's not so for me. Uh, I mean, I go pick up my family. Tomorrow night I leave and go bring them back. It's been five months. Uh, so the, the board has been incredibly gracious. So I want to thank them for letting me go see them. But we're looking forward to having the whole family here. Now, I remember when I, I first started, you can, you can clap, you want, I'm clapping, I'm telling you, <laughs> they're finally here. I remember one, one of the first times I had to travel, though, I started a, a doctoral program out on the East Coast, and I was in Appleton, and so the way the program worked is you were, did all this pre-class stuff, then you had to go to campus for two weeks, and then you did the post-class stuff. So I remember I went out there for the... Uh, pre-class stuff and, and we went with the same group of guys you followed through with this thing and so actually i loved getting out there for those first couple of days because you could reacquaint yourself with the guys and you're back in the classroom and it's just a different world it was it was fun it was really good but about halfway through the time there the way i'm wired my experience i began to get really homesick and I remember laying in bed just dreaming about my wife and kids. I remember being in the classroom, looking out the window, daydreaming about what are they doing right now and, you know, does Teresa need me there and, you know, all of those things. And as wonderful as the guys were, as wonderful as the class, classes were, it was a great opportunity. I'm grateful for it, but it wasn't home. Now, in, in our experience down here, our homes are of primary importance to us, aren't they? I mean, maybe where you're at right now, if truth be told, you would say, you know, happy is not a word I would use to describe my home. And maybe in your home right now, it's a place you want to get out of. And you would, in all honesty, say it's a place where I'm more of a stranger than anything else. But still, in your heart, you recognize, don't you, that there's that ideal home out there someplace that you long for. And as important as our homes are for us, for us here, so our eternal homes are, are equally important for us. You know, we've been in this series, That's a Good Question. And we've been dealing with significant questions for our spiritual walk. We're not dealing with curiosity questions, you know, did Jesus go to hell when he died? And how come God commanded his prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute? Wasn't that against the Mosaic law? And what are God's favorite colors, which are green and gold, by the way, just in case you're wondering about that. <laughs> And if you have a different thought on those questions, that's okay, because you know what? That's not going to really impact how we walk spiritually. But there are some questions that how you answer them will have a huge impact on, on your journey down here. And this question of what is heaven like is one of those questions. And initially, when we might look at that, we go, hang on, hang on. You know, heaven, good, I'll get there one day through Jesus. It's wonderful. It's all sealed. I'm set. But you know what? I mean, I'm busy. I mean, life is, got, is happening to me right now. And I got a lot of things I got to juggle and make happen. And, and I just don't see how a thought of heaven is going to really intersect with my life. Well, it, it actually does incredibly so. Let me give you an illustration. You pull out of your driveway morning and you, you don't know where you're going. When you come to the, the turn, which way do you go? Well, for me, if I don't know where I'm going, I'm looking back both sides and whichever side has the least amount of potholes or whatever side looks more pleasant to me or whichever side the, the guys in the back are screaming for me to go down. It really doesn't matter because I'm not sure of my destination. As we go through this life, 
If we don't have our eternal destination forefront of our mind, then what do we do when we hit the crossroads? We usually we choose based on what's more pleasant, what's easier, what are the people screaming for? But if we have the destination, even if this road is packed with potholes and temptation and all kinds of persecution, it's irrelevant because this helps us get to where we need to be. So it's imperative to understand our eternal destination. Now, the problem with that is that eternal destination does not always sound that attractive, does it? When I say the word heaven, what, what pops into your mind? Those, you, know, you know, those naked little baby cherub things and uh, maybe some people dressed in, you know, 50-ish white choir robes playing harps on clouds and you're going and then when they say that's for forever you go you know heaven is just it sounds depressing oh man but see we know the alternative don't we and that sounds worse we're going oh well if i've got to choose i'm going to take heaven but i'm not in any real anxiousness to get there when that is a huge indictment on on us a huge indictment on us because this is listen this I don't care where you are in life right now. I mean, I don't care if you're getting married next week, if that Ferrari is coming in that you've ordered, if you're going on that that vacation that you've been saving your whole life for next week. If you and I just had a glimpse of what heaven really was like, and we'd be lining up, wouldn't we? God, can I go right now? Right now, can I go? I don't have to wait for something bad to go down before I want to go. Can I go right now? And wouldn't it be wild if God said, not right now. But I want you to go back and get as many folk as you can so you can bring them with you. I mean, if we saw a little bit of what heaven is like, that would change our lives. And so the goal this morning, as much as fallen, broken, mortal man can, we want to understand just a glimpse of what our eternal home is like. And so if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me? Revelation chapter 22. I mean, the very last chapter in the Bible. Revelation 22. Now, if you're thinking, you know, the very first chapter in the Bible started off with the garden. Very last chapter in the Bible, they're back in the garden. Now, this is major theology stuff here, okay? This is what the Bible is all about. Start off in the garden, they get kicked out of the garden. They end up back in the garden at the end. Everything else in between, Genesis 3 and and Revelation 22, is life outside the garden. It's trying to get back in the garden, trying to figure out mankind, trying to figure out how I get there. God initiating his plan of how he plans on getting man back there. That's the Bible in a nutshell. Uh, Life uh, in in the garden. And so in Revelation chapter 22, let's look at just a couple of uh, uh, elements of heaven, a couple of perspectives of what heaven is about. And the first one we're going to see is heaven is a place of excitement and security, or security and excitement. Chapter 22, verse 1, says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Now, we've got got to keep in mind that, that John is writing to first century folk. And therefore, John has to use word pictures and illustrations that these folk understand. He's writing about something otherworldly, okay, heaven. But he's using pictures that they understand. So you're starting off with that, okay? And you're looking at these people who who were living before water filtration. They couldn't just go to the store and buy, you know, a couple cases of bottled water. They didn't have clean water coming out of their tap. Uh, Matter of fact, whenever they moved to a new place, number one thing they had to do is locate a source of clean water. Matter of fact, 
the source of clean water usually dictated where they moved to. And ideally, they're looking for a, a river because it's moving and it's taking off the debris. But if they come against some stagnant water, you know, what do you do? Because your body's only going to make it three days and their family, their, their bodies will only make it three days. And so you go to the pond and you, you push away some of the scum and some of the mosquito eggs. And maybe there's a carcass of some animal along the, the bank with flies all over it. And you scoop up the water because you know what? You just don't have any choice. Their quest for for pure water was a continual life issue. It was a life issue. And look at how John starts with these folk. There was a river of the water of life as clear as crystal, pure, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Abundant. Easy to get to. Right there. He, He goes on. He says, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now, these folk, again, lived meal to meal. They usually didn't have lots of savings. They could just run to the market whenever they got low on something, if they were, could find a market. Uh, they didn't have refrigeration. And so as they're out and about, if they come across a fruit tree, they can give them food for two or three weeks. It's like, oh, this was an incredible find. This was amazing. Now, look what they come across here. This fruit tree that yields fruit 12 months of the year. If you camp along this river underneath this fruit tree, you've got it made, right? You have got everything. Now, here, here's the principle. Don't, don't, there might be a real river in heaven and real trees. I, I don't know. But, but here's what he's trying to get across. Those things that threaten you in life. Those things that in the back of our head we're a little bit nervous of. You know, we plan. We got the insurance thing going and we eat the best we can. We exercise and we do whatever we can. And we try to take care of our children and protect. But you know as well as I do that there are things, viruses, bad people, accidents, stuff happens. And it's scary sometimes and it threatens our existence. And what John is saying here is in heaven, all of those things, they're gone. They're gone. You'll know a peace and a security that you could never, ever know down here. He goes on and he says that heaven is a place of excitement. And where you get that is where he says that the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Literally, it says bearing 12 fruits each month according to its fruit. In other words, this tree is changing fruit every month. Um, you know, heaven is, is a fluid place. It's not static. Now, you and I have got this idea that given enough time, and heaven is eternal, right? But given enough time, it's going to be boring. I mean, what do you do for forever, right? Uh, I remember Teresa and I were at uh, Orlando Universal Studios one time. And I was not too long after I got sick, so I had the walker deal. And a walker's not a good thing, but a good part of it in amusement parks is you can get to the front of the line. So we got to the, the just opened a little bit before is the Men in Black ride. And oh man, if you've been on, we're not gonna, it was, it's a fantastic, well it was anyway, fantastic ride. And, but the line was about two hours long, but I had my walker, right? So we got to the, got to the front of the line and we went on this ride. It was just a fantastic, exciting, and it was really an adrenaline pumping ride. And we got done, we turned around, 15 seconds, we we're back on the ride. Meanwhile, these people are still sitting in line, felt a little bit bad for them, just a little bit, not much. We got, we did it again. <laughs> And then we did it again. And again, after about our eighth time, I'm guessing these folk were hating us. 
But but Teresa and I were like, well, all right, all right. What's next? That's done. That just doesn't do it for us anymore. How many millions of dollars went into that ride? The teams of people engineering this thing and thinking this thing up and constructing this and building it and maintaining it. I I can't imagine the millions of dollars that went in this ride. Yeah, it's boring. I'm done. Okay, let's move on. And you and I have this mindset to give it enough time. Everything gets... But John's saying, oh, no, 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 heaven, somehow... It is continually changing. It doesn't get boring. And here's the idea that heaven is more fun. You think you have fun? You don't have fun down here. Heaven is more exciting and more exhilarating and at the same time more peaceful and more restful than anything that Disney or Hollywood or Madison Avenue or Michigan Avenue could possibly come up with. It's a place of security and excitement. Heaven. It's not going to be a boring thing. Uh, heaven is also a place absent of pain. Okay, it's a place of security and excitement. It's also a place absent of pain. It says, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Now, you know as well as I do, when God created stuff, when God, the first garden, it was outside the curse. Right? And so man's relationship with God was perfect. And man's relationship with Eve was perfect. And man's relationship with himself and with the environment was perfect. It was perfect. But God said, you know, I don't want to force my love on you. So i got to give you the choice here. So here's this this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Listen, don't don't eat of that tree. Just one. Just, you know, I figured if I just had one command, I could pull this off. But I got but but they had just one command. But in time, and we don't know how much time it took, they fell. And when they did... Everything came apart. And suddenly man's relationship with God, man's hiding from God. They're separated. He kind of wants God because God comes. He's talking to him, but he's feeling bad. He's separated from God. His relationship with Eve. Remember, God comes to Adam and says, Adam, did you eat of that tree that I told you not to eat of? This would have been a perfect place, wouldn't it, for Adam to say, yes. But what does Adam say? That woman you gave me, she. And you can imagine where the conversation goes from there, right? I mean, just that's where all the marital strife started, and it just keep on keeps on rolling. Uh, man's relationship with himself. I think if we, we we check out the text, we can find this is where depression and where anxiety starts to come in. Man's depression, man's man's relationship with the environment. Adam's kicked out of the garden, and he's he's experiencing now things he never experienced before. Thistles. And thorns and deadly viruses and bacteria and hurricanes and tornadoes. This is what the Bible calls life under the curse. And it's the only life you and I have known. This affects us physically. Uh, My uh, wife's uh, sister, she's got one sister, Rochelle. Rochelle and Lowell were uh, missionaries in in Erin Jaya. It was their their goal. They kind of thought about this. A little bit later, and so it took him by eight years to, to get all the schooling and all the training and everything else. He was with MAF, uh, and that they got their fundraising and everything else. They got there. They were there about two weeks, and one of their boys was found on the bottom of the pool. And so they pulled him up, and some of the missionaries was able to resuscitate him. They, they, they air back this guy to, to Singapore, 
And so brain damage, they got him back home for a year of rehab, a uh, miracle that he was alive. And, uh, but after a year, they said, you know, God's called us to, to Arian Giants. So they went back. They're going to Papua New Guinea. So they're back there. And they were uh, in Papua. Uh, they'd gone through the language study now. Lowell hadn't flown a single mission yet in the, the mountains. And their little boy, baby, a different child, got malaria. Now, everyone was expecting to get malaria. It wasn't a big deal. But when they gave him the medication... He began to hematose, so they had to airlift him to Australia. Come to find out, all of the kids had this wild genetic anemia where they they could not handle the medication that was required for malaria, so they had to leave the field. This is life under the curse. Now, the the bottom line is, every one of us, I mean, every one of us, has a, a bitter cup with our name on it. It's not equally bitter, not, not equally bitter all the time, but every one of us will experience the pain of burying the person we love most. Or we'll be that person who dies and in the process breaks the heart of the people we're leaving behind. This is the curse. And there's no getting around this. There's no getting around it. But in heaven, if you've got your Bibles, 21 verse 4. What a great verse. I don't have this one on the screen. 21 verse 4, it says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things, that's the curse, has passed away. At the gate of heaven, you know what? We drop off our Kleenex and black dress and, and wheelchairs and walkers and medications because we do not need it on the other side of the gate. We know life under the curse emotionally, too. Now, I know there's sometimes a stigma of struggling emotionally. But the bottom line is, Scripture talks about godly people as well as ungodly people struggling emotionally. No one wants to, but it's it's the common cold of the emotion of which nobody is immune from. We will all be there at different points. But at the gate, we drop off our counselor appointment books in our Prozac, in our self-help books, because we don't need them on the other side of the gate. There's no curse there. We need it, the curse here, but there's no curse there. We, we understand this uh, uh, relationally. Now, if you notice, with 22 verse 1, where it was talking about the, uh, the river, water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Now, when you think of heaven as a city, what do you think? You think maybe like Chicago with gold buildings and gold streets? And you're like, actually, I'm kind of a country person personally. And uh, city is something I try to get out of. And I just, it's just not me. And don't miss the reality because of, of the, the symbol here. Okay? When these guys lived in a village, uh, it was almost like a commune. They all knew each other. We're talking community. They knew each other very well. They raised each other's kids. They protected each other. They were, they were family. Now, contrast this with what the Bible says about hell. In hell, you're alone. And what he's saying is, is in heaven, relationships. You think you've got friends now? Oh, no. Not like you're going to have in heaven. You know, my greatest friendship, my greatest relationship is with my wife, Teresa, and we have a blast together, and we enjoy each other. We verbally spar with each other sometimes. But once in a while, not too often, but once in a while, 
the wheels fall off. You know, I mean, it just goes south. There's something is said from an evil, cruel heart that just really scares me. We should pray for Teresa. <laughs> but, but, but you know what I'm, I'm saying. It's no question about it. The relationship is under the curse. And you guys, especially now, let me ask you, talk to the high school kids for a second, because there's a lot of drama. I got high school kids, a lot of drama in the high, in the high school life. So-and-so hates so-and-so one day, and then they're going out, and then they're breaking up, and they're hating each other, and, and everyone's talking about it. You got to know, guys, it doesn't change a whole lot when you become adults. We can mask it a little bit better. And hopefully we matured a little bit. But you need to know, with adults, they're still off, and he's not talking, and she's not talking to him, and they're angry at so-and-so, and there's just, it's just relationship under the curse is what it is uh, spiritually in heaven you need, when we get to heaven no longer do we fight mental drift while we're doing quiet times you know what i'm talking about fight, fighting mental mental drift you ever been there you're trying to pray and your mind's going in a different direction you keep pulling it back and never will you again will you pray and feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling never again will you have to pray asking god for strength never again will you fail spiritually never again will you be tempted never again will you trip up and you'll just say i thought i conquered that stupid sin that won't be so anymore and it's the coolest thing at the gate of heaven we drop off our armor because the battle is done we won't have to fight sin anymore and sometimes we think just sin out there most often the sin i gotta fight is the sin in here and that's got done that battle is over you know once in a while folk will say well robes we're getting robes in heaven right i mean everyone gets a robe yeah 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 everyone gets a robe white robes yeah 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 and i know i know what you're thinking uh, white's not my color you know, and, and we're all gonna look like clones and i lose my individuality and i think i want a camouflage robe you know or, or i want a tie-dye robe i want a nike swoosh or Steelers emblem on my whatever whatever we want we want a, a different type of robe but but don't lose the reality because of the symbol you know i've done an awful lot of weddings and i don't remember a single one where the bride was bemoaning the fact that she had to wear that stupid white gown thing She's been looking forward to wearing that stupid white gown thing since she was seven years old. This, she, she's wearing this dress and she feels like the queen. All attention is on her. No question about it. The most important person in the room is the bride. And she, she's at the top of the world. Now, now, way back when, of course, the gown was symbolic of, of her purity. And what this is saying to us is that internally we will be spiritually pure no guilt no sin it's gone it's gone you know in this world our our bodies ache they break down we do what we can do but they still do we have emotional issues and relational issues and we fight and we have to bury folk and but you know what amazes me with this is this is the only world we have known but yet every single one of us knows that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I wonder, why do we know that? We have never seen somebody not die. We have never seen no problems. I mean, every one of us has seen these, this is the life we live, but yet we know that this is not the way life is supposed to be. It's because God has placed in our hearts eternity. We know, we long for that home. The, 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 the pagan longs for that home because God has placed it within them, that place where... The problems aren't there. 
They're not supposed to be there. Heaven is a place of security and excitement. It's a place absent of pain. And also, it's a place of pure worship. Pure worship. It says, The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the lamp, light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. That speaks of pure worship. This idea of uh, seeing his face and his name stamped in our foreheads. What in the world is that all about? Uh, Exodus 33. Remember, Moses asked to see God's glory. Well, what he was asking for was to see God's face. And the reason why we know this is because God comes back and says, no. But then God shows him his back. He shows him his back. Moses was longing. God, I just want to know you. And somehow I'm not connecting and I'm feeling like you're not there. I just need to know you. And God says, you can't right now, Moses. Now, if you've been there, we just really, really want to know God. You're thirsting for him and you're praying, please, God, would you show me yourself? Please, I just want to know you better. And I I feel like you're far away. Please, would 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 you let me know that you're here? And what we're longing for is the same thing Moses was longing for. We were longing for a relationship with God that we can only have in heaven one day. But, but look at this. They will see his face. Moses saw God's face. And when we get there, we will know God completely. That's this, this name stamped on our forehead. It's not we're going to be all tattooed per se. What it's talking about is that we will be enmeshed with who God is. He will be... We won't have any more questions. We, we won't have any more wondering. There will be no more doubt. It's all evaporated. That's gone. Pure worship. Now, sometimes you think about eternity of pure worship. You know, you think it's sort of vocal cords and all those kind of things. But, but worship, obviously, right, is much more than singing. Uh, worship is a, a life where every... You are so conscious of God's presence with you that every motivation and every word and every thought and every action is in tune with who God is. And you know, if you walk with the Lord for any amount of time, you know that when you're there, when you're in the spiritual zone, life doesn't get any better. This is perfect. This is this is wonderful. That's worship. And you're never more worshiping than when you are there in that place spiritually. Now, it does incorporate, of course, singing. And again, a question comes up, hey, do we all get harps in heaven? I heard about people get harps in heaven. Do we get harps? Yeah, 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 you get a harp. Revelation 4, Revelation 14, Revelation 15, we get harps in heaven. And you're thinking, oh, you know, I hate harp music. And I don't like to, I don't know how to play it. And I don't want to learn. That's why you're in heaven for forever, because that's all it takes to learn to play. And I don't want to lug, I don't want to lug that heavy, stupid thing around heaven for, I mean, what kind of, and how, what is a band where everybody plays the same dumb instrument for crying out loud? Don't miss the reality because of the symbol. Again, these, these folk, the primary instrument they had was the harp. It would have been probably to us the piano or something. And in Judaism, there's nearly no such thing as secular music. All of their tunes were tunes of worship. So when they talked about singing, that's the only thing they could think about, worshiping, praising God. And what he's saying is we will be forever in that state of pure worship. Now, it does, again, incorporate singing. 
And as much as we try down here, things go wrong sometimes, don't they? I mean, you're, you're trying to worship and there's feedback in the system or the battery goes out in the mic or the singers kind of aren't on the same page or the PowerPoint person isn't clicking right or maybe everything, maybe everything is happening up here stellar, but you're sitting out there and you've got a headache and you're thinking about the pot roast and the friends coming over or the game and so you've got to keep bringing yourself back. And we try to worship, but it's hindered, hindered all the time down here. Take a second and think of the, the most significant worship time you've ever had in your life. I, mean, I, was at, I was at Moody. There were about five of us guys who were going to Jay's, doing a Jay's run. It's a greasy burger place, and we're heading out there. None of us got dates that night, so let's all go out to the burger place. And one of the guys said, okay, let's, let's pray before we go out. Okay, okay, fine. So we went into the, uh, the lobby, the lounge there at, uh, I think it was the 13th floor, the floor I was on. And we, we, we said, okay, let's just pray. We were going to pray for just a few minutes and go get our J's. We got up off the floor about an hour and a half later, and all of us were crying. We were on our faces, and I don't know how to explain to, to y'all, but it was, if there could be a thing where the Holy Spirit heaven came down in such a fullness, it was right there. Take the most intense worship time you've ever had. Maybe it's at home with your worship music playing. Maybe it was here. Maybe it was in a concert. But take it and times it by about a million. And we're starting to get close, closer anyway, to what worship will be like in heaven constantly, forever. And that brings us to the fourth point here. Heaven is a place that goes on forever. And they will reign forever and ever. Now, you ever have one of those uh, family vacations? They don't happen often where actually everything worked right, you know, and, and you just didn't want it to stop. You didn't want to come back home and get on the treadmill and the gr- go through the whole grind again. You wanted it to keep going, but it had to stop. And maybe there was a season of your life. Maybe it was when you were in school. Maybe it's when you were raising your kids that you look back and you go, man, it was a great season of life. I sure wish it never had to stop. But all those seasons stop, don't they, under the curse. But heaven will never stop. It will never stop. You know, that first time I was in Boston, I remember I was really homesick bad. I got on the plane to come back and uh, very excited about getting back home. Had a layover, Chicago changed planes, and I don't know what happened at O'Hare, but it was just the biggest mess. Like everybody in the world was there, and none of the planes were leaving. It was just a huge mess, and I thought, I will never get out of here. And so my anxiety started to rise even further. Finally, I got on my plane, and as the plane starts to descend into northeast Wisconsin, and I'm looking out the window, seeing things that are familiar to me, my heart starts to beat a little bit. And when the, when the plane touches down, you know, usually when I get off the plane, I'm very uh, passive and genteel. You know, go first, go, 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 go. But not this time. I was Hulk Hogan, you know-ish. I, I, I got one hand on my carry-on, and I got one hand on my seatbelt, and I'm just looking at that little thingy waiting, and as soon as I hear the don't, I'm gone. And I was at the very front of the plane waiting, trying to open the door for the stewardess. Let's go, come on, let's go, let's move. I'm working through the, the jetway, and as I come through the terminal, I'm starting to see sights that I, I'm familiar with. And my heart is beating, and, and they're very familiar, but there's not really what I'm there looking for, right? And I know, you know what I'm looking for. And so as I take the turn, there, there they are. I knew they'd be there. And they're, they're, their hair was all combed, and they were all standing there, holding a sign, Welcome Home, Dad. And I saw them, and, and my, of course, my, my smile went from ear to ear, and I started towards them. And then I think as Andrew saw me, and he said, There he is! 
Jesus! And Andrew shot past the security guards and almost, almost got arrested or something. That was not a good one. But as I embraced, you know, Samantha's jumping up and down and clapping. And as we embraced, I, we were laughing and rejoicing. And I knew I'm home. And one day, we'll take that uh, final trip that we're not looking forward to, maybe. But we'll come through that final quarter and we'll see things that we've only heard about. And I can't imagine that our heart doesn't start beating a little bit. But we're not looking for those things. You know what we're looking for. And we'll go towards the gate and there he'll be standing at the gate. And, and I don't know if Jesus is holding a welcome home sign or not. Knowing Jesus, maybe. And then as your eyes catch can't imagine that Jesus isn't going to run to you and you'd run to him and he'd embrace you and maybe whisper in your ear, welcome home. And you know in your heart, this is home. Would you pray with me? Father, sometimes I think that heaven is so far away and... Just a thin veil separates. And I do look forward. As your children, God, when we stop and we get our eyes off the earthly stuff, we look forward. Thank you, Lord, that you're going to welcome us home, not because we've earned it and we did such a good job, but because of your blood. Lord, I'm assuming heaven's going to be incredibly beyond anything we can imagine. You've been working on it for a long time. Would you remind me and would you remind us, God, to live in light of our eternal home? In Jesus' name, amen.